Well, good morning, everyone. Again, once again, take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 10. You know, you get you get into this passage, and it's just, there is so much meat here for us. And today, we want to see, once again, as God rules in the kingdom of men, yet Satan has authority, but God rules over all. And that's important for us to recognize that God rules in the kingdom of men, but Satan does have authority and we are in a spiritual battle. We cannot deny reality and we must not be ignorant of Satan's devices. Today, Satan is not even disguising his dark intentions and his wicked heart. And his attacks against the Son of God. He is out in the open. He's not even trying to hide any longer. In his attacks against Jesus Christ. The word of God. As blasphemy. And mockery of God. is It's common. It's Hollywood. It's music. It's entertainment. It's comedy. To mock God. Late night television, media, social media, educational system, all through society, it is fully accepted to blaspheme Jesus Christ. That's our country. So let's not be in denial of the spiritual battle we are in. As we begin today, please take your Bible, turn to Daniel chapter 10. I'd like to read verse 20. And this will be one of the key verses we'll look at today as I speak on victory in our spiritual warfare. And this is a part two of our sermon on this. Then said he, knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? The angel is speaking to Daniel. And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. So the, Daniel, the, the angel tells Daniel, I'm going to go back and fight this prince that I've already had victory over. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. <laughs> tells us a lot about Satan right there. Let's pray. Father, please work, glorify your name, and grant the victory that we will claim and live in the victory of Jesus Christ that is ours by faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world, and the system of lust and pride in it. Oh, God, we praise you. Grant victory to each family, to each individual, to our church, to our nation. The battle is everywhere. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, as I was speaking, this part one of the message, between the 11 o'clock and 1 o'clock service, I was just praying about how to make it a little more practical down to earth and for the one o'clock service also. And God gave me, he helped my memory to just click. And I thought about a man in our church a number of years ago, and he was obsessed to get married. Now, I know that's never happened to anyone else, but it did happen to this man. He had to get married. He was driven. He couldn't be single. He couldn't be content in his singleness. So he went back to the country of his birth, and he found a lovely woman there, educated woman, and met her and married her and came back to the United States. And so he came back, a lovely woman was now 
by his side. She also became a member of our church. I baptized her, and she was sweet. But when he returned, he came under the assault of the devil, who was probably assaulting him before he even got married. But now the assault took a different form. He sold his home over $400,000 worth and gambled every penny of it away. Drugs and alcohol began to just surround his life and his heart. And he descended into that world of gambling, drugs, and alcohol. And his wife, who came here thinking she was marrying a Christian, she would call me and say, Pastor, what am I supposed to do? He said, OTB, would you please go into that OTB and get him out of there? You know what OTB is, right? Off-track betting. I've never been there a day in my life, but I went in there looking for this man. And I'm telling you, it was like demons. I could feel the oppression of the demonic powers in that OTB. All these men just like looking at the newspapers to see what horse won. It was like so obsessive and, and evil. I couldn't find him in there. But I looked and just prayed that God would have mercy on this gentleman and his bondage. Another time she called and I went over, I picked up Pastor Carmine and we went over together and he was literally sitting in a crumpled hump in the, in the middle of the, of the living room, as I remember it, just, just drunk and unable to do anything, just lay there. And we just prayed over him. We begged God to deliver him. And another time I, I literally, she called me, she said, he's in, in prison in the Bronx. Would I bail him out? I w- literally went there and paid the money to get him out of the prison. Well, he finally came out of that incredibly. And you know what? He, he left our church over some silly reason. I won't even get into that, but it was like, I can't even believe after I, we really begged God and tried to help him. Then they ended up leaving our church, but they went to another good Baptist church. And when I thought about him, I actually called the pastor just this week. And I said, how is this couple doing? And he said, wow, it's something that you would ask because since this pandemic, he's back into some, doing some of the old things. So pray for him. I, I haven't, I'm not going to say his name, but pray for this man. God knows his name. Pray that God would deliver him and have mercy on his dear wife. She's still with him after all the stuff that he has put her through. And I'm just simply to say that there is a spiritual attack in each of our lives in a unique way. And we have to be tuned in to the Lord so that we can also understand the difference between when the Spirit of God is speaking and leading us and when the devil is attacking us. There's a difference. So we've been looking at victory and spiritual warfare. Just to quickly review what we said last week. We said the divine encouragement against Satan's kingdom. By the way, does everybody have the outline? Does everybody have it? Okay, because we have outlines back there. Divine encouragement. We said last week, the encouragement is that this angel comes to Daniel and touches him three times to stand, to speak, and to be strong. And that's an amazing thing. But God uses his ministering spirits. We don't understand it. But this angel touched Daniel to to stand, to speak, and even to be strong. Because Daniel says in the end of verse 18, look at that. He strengthened me. And after Satan was, uh, after Satan tempted Jesus in one place, it says the, the angels came and ministered to Jesus. That's an incredible thing. Now, I don't exactly know how all that works, but I would just say this. Don't pray to angels for strength, right? We don't pray to angels. We pray to God. 
but God sends his ministering spirits and, and they, they give us strength, I guess, because it says they strengthen Daniel. So God has his ministering spirits. What a divine encouragement. Number two, we looked at the divine hostility or the organized hostility of his kingdom. And we focused on that verse in Ephesians chapter six, verse 12, where it says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, which are rulers. And then it says against powers, which are rulers with authority. And then it says rulers of the darkness of this world. And they're world rulers. The word we looked at the rulers there, it's cosmocrator. In other words, a world ruler. And so that they're that the stretch of Satan's influence is worldwide. And then it says spirits of wickedness in high places. They're wicked spiritual rulers, and it's in the heavenly realm. So that made a lot of sense to me to look at this verse, not as describing a hierarchy of Satan's empire, but as describing the collective aspect of his empire. And that's how we looked at that. But either way, Satan is very organized. Satan does have a hierarchy within his empire. It's not clear what that what that hierarchy is, but he's highly organized in his hostility against God and against you. Get in the battle. The third thing we looked at, the definite assignments. Remember how we said one was assigned to Persia, one to Greece, one to the demoniac of Gadara, and so forth. Now, today, let's move forward and see, first of all, as we consider three more vital perspectives to live in victory in our spiritual warfare, I want us to see, first of all, today, the comprehensive, and I say comprehensive influence of Satan's kingdom. In other words, Satan's influence is all pervasive. It's in the world. When I say all pervasive, I mean he's seeking to influence nations to go to war. Because war has to be one of Satan's, one of Satan's delightful activities. When men kill each other and then lost people die and go to hell for all eternity. So he's seeking to destroy nations. He's seeking to destroy churches. Why is it that churches start off strong many times spiritually and then they get overcome with heresy and false doctrine? Because we're in a spiritual battle. Listen, Heritage Baptist Church is in a spiritual battle to maintain its doctrinal purity now and in the days ahead. It will always be in a battle, a battle for the home. Why is it sometimes Christian parents are strong, but their children then come under the attack and go and can not live for God. Many times that happens. Sad to say. The devil tries to destroy families. And he's trying to destroy you. His influence is ubiquitous. He's interested in geopolitical events. Sometimes Christians say that we shouldn't mix politics with our faith. Well, the devil is happy to go after political rulers, <laughs> you know, and God is interested in all aspects of life. Quite frankly, the spiritual battle is everywhere. And even in this chapter, we see that there was there were fallen angels assigned to the political rulers of Daniel's day. And don't you think they're assigned to political rulers today? Sure, they are. We face a roaring lion. And what is he doing? He goes to and fro throughout what? The whole earth. <laughs> so that's the authority God has given him. God has given him authority to go worldwide, seeking whom he may 
devour. So he'll come after us. His influence is comprehensive, ubiquitous, all-pervasive in the world. Now, there's an area of our culture that has tremendous influence, and it's all-pervasive as well. On television, you hear it. The malls, you hear it. You go to somebody's house for a birthday party, you hear it. And I'm talking about music. Now, it's a truth that Satan was a musical angel. We won't look at it now, but in Ezekiel, it tells us that his specialty seemed to be music before he fell as this high-ranking angel in heaven. So don't be naive or spiritually dull not to think that Satan isn't going to seek to corrupt the music of a nation in order to draw people away from Jesus Christ. One of the main areas of Satan's attack against the church is its music. To bring in worldly music. One of the main attacks against the family will be its music because music's, music teaches a moral agenda many times. Now you could listen to a song, let's say, by the Beatles, and it, it might sound very tame. Take a song like My Sweet Lord. But I guarantee you, they're not singing about Jesus Christ as the sweet Lord. It's a false God. And you could listen to the Beatles as well. And you could say, oh, that's a that song has a nice tune. But then they're singing about happiness. You know what happiness in a Beatles music is? A warm gun. That's one of their songs, right? Happiness is a warm gun. And I could go on and on. But, but uh, people don't think the Beatles is music from hell. That it's music from the devil? It is. I know it corrupted me in my generation. It's just different music now. And it's in our face. Satan's not even disguising himself. I never heard of this gentleman until recently. His name is Montero Lamar Hill, a rapper otherwise known as Lil Nas X. Now, we adults, we sometimes don't pay attention to this, but our children know about it. And so we, we need to know. So this was just over Palm Sunday weekend around there. He released uh, a new hit, a new song, a new rap song. And I'll mention that. And also he sold shoes. He called them Satan's shoes. So, I mean, it's like in your face, right? Now, this young man, I, I went online just to kind of see a little bit about him. I saw in a CBS interview, though, and, you know, the, the mainline media loves to promote anti-God values, especially regarding the family and homosexuality. And so this young man, very confused in his life, sad to say, he came out as a homosexual. And they gave him all kudos and sympathies for that. And the CBS, the woman uh, reporter who interviewed him, said at the end, he is really, really awesome. Quote, an awesome young person who's really just getting started in this business. So he's a young, very young man. He's going to be around influencing. And the devil is going to use this young man, sad to say, unless he truly repents. So he sold these Satan shoes. Nike didn't endorse it, but he used the Nike shoes. He made 666 pairs. Now, that's in your face, right? He sold them for $1,018. That's in your face because he's using Luke chapter 10, verse 18, which says that, 
the, the power of the enemy will not have any influence over us. We will tread over all the power of the enemy. So he's mocking God. Remember, remember when Satan tempted Jesus? What did Satan use? The word of God, making mockery of the Bible. So then the sneakers come with a, a bronze pentagram. That has a, that's a satanic image. Not exactly sure. I can't give you a full description of it, but I know it's not of God. It has an inverted cross. And then it made the news. I'm sure you heard about it because in the heel of this sneaker, there was a drop of human blood. So he called these shoes Satan's shoes. Now, he, along with these shoes, he released the single. The single is called Montero, in parentheses, call me by your name. Now, Montero is his real name, Montero Lamar Hill, and Lil Nas X is his rapper name. So his song is called after his name, Montero, call me by your name. So what is he talking about there? Well, in this song, and I, I won't describe it a, uh, just a little bit because it's very graphic and it's very wicked and blasphemously immoral. Basically, he is, he has a, a sexual relationship in the video with Satan, who's a male. So he, He's giving himself over to Satan. So when he says Montero and then call me by your name, he's actually talking to Satan. Call me by your name. He wants to be called by Satan's name. See, we as Christians want to be called by whose name? Jesus. We want to be known as Christian. We're called by his name. So the very song in which he is seduced by the devil and he, at the very end, he takes the horns of the devil and puts it on himself, saying he is embracing all of Satan's ways. And he's saying, call by your name. And the last line of the song says, call me out by your name. I don't care if you're lying. Think about that. So what is Satan? He's a liar. And he, it's like he knows Satan is lying to him about his lifestyle. And so many young people are being drawn into homosexuality, into gender confusion, into wickedness, into fornications, and all kinds of things. And people are like, I don't even care if I'm following lies. I just want to do what I want to do. So that's our culture. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's like, in your, it's pretty much in your face. Right? Satan's shoes. We are in a comprehensive battle in our nation and in our lives. The second thing I want us to see is there must be a continuous struggle against Satan's kingdom, a continuous struggle. So the, the principle in our passage here and follow this now in verse 13, he says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days, but lo, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me and I remained there with the kings of Persia. The, the principle there is, that this angel that eventually was going to go help Daniel after his 21 days of prayer was helped by Michael. And so they were able to influence the, the kings of Persia in the godly direction. We're going to talk about how that influence worked and where they won the battle. So they won the battle. Then this angel released from the battle with this fallen angel in Persia and went and helped Daniel. Right? But the, so they won the battle, but was the battle over? No, because if you look now in verse 20 
and he's talking still to Daniel, this angel that has come to him. He says, knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? Do you know why I've come to thee? And then he says, now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, well, one of the prince of Grecia shall come. So he says, the battle's going to continue. I've got to go back and continue the fight. So what fight? What was the struggle? It was a struggle for the very nation. Because early on in the kingdom of Medo-Persia, when Cyrus first took control and Darius, they adopted positive policies toward Israel. But then the devil kept fighting until he threw a dart into whose heart and said, let's kill every Jewish person in the entire kingdom. Who was that? It's on the screen. Who? Haman. That's what the whole book of Esther about. That's the same kingdom. A couple kings, you know, a few, I don't exactly remember right offhand, but kings after the, the king that was here, Cyrus. So he threw a dart into the heart of Haman. That was the devil who sought to destroy Israel and put that lie into Haman's heart. And then after Medo-Persia, what was the empire that came after Medo-Persia? Greece. So that's what he's referring to in verse 20. So you know what the amazing thing to look again in verse 20. He says, I will return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone low, the prince of Greece shall come. So he says, I'm going to keep fighting throughout the kingdom of Persia, which was about another 200 years. And after Persia ceases being the world ruling empire, who's going to be the world ruling empire? Greece for another 185 years. So in that one verse, how many hundreds of years are there? Almost 400. Isn't that amazing? That's like, so the Bible's so amazing, it puts 400 years in one line. That's longer than the United States has been a kingdom. So the devil has the long view in this fight. He just continuously struggles against God's people. So when Greece came around, the devil threw a dart into the heart of who? Antiochus Epiphanes, corrupt the whole nation. Why? What was, what's the point of his battle against Israel? It's because God had promised the Savior to come. And the devil wants to thwart the word of God, the will of God, the salvation of God, the plan of God. The devil's always seeking to thwart and defeat God. So he says, I've got to go keep continue this fight. And even after this, well, a few years ago, remember who the president of Iran was? He said he wanted to annihilate Israel. Over and over again, he would say it. You remember him? Ahmadinejad? He was the president of Iran, Persia, the Medo-Persia kingdom. And he basically said he wanted to blow Israel into the Mediterranean Sea. Now, I would be against him doing that to any country, quite frankly. But why is Satan's hatred so pointed against Israel? You know why? Because even now, God isn't done with Israel. We're going to look tonight on the radio where God is going to save 144,000 male Jewish Israelites during a coming time called the tribulation. And those male Jewish Israelites are going to evangelize the world. And Satan doesn't want that to happen. Even to this day, he wants to destroy national Israel. He won't. Is God 
will always win. But who threw that dart into Ahmadinejad's heart? Satan. The same devil, probably, the same fallen angel. Now, I I can't know this for sure, right? But the same fallen demon spirit was there in Persia, you know, for all those 200 years. I'm just like, wow, would that be the same wicked fallen angel that put this dart into Ahmadinejad's heart and is right now around you know, Khomeini and all the others in Iran who hate truth, who hate Jesus, who hate freedom, who hate the gospel, you know? Wow. The, the demons, they've, they've been around. They weren't born yesterday. We know that, right? Isn't that something? We're in a spiritual battle. And even Jesus, and you know the story of Jesus' temptation. What did he use in his temptation to have victory? He used the, the word of God. And Satan even tried to use the word of God. But Satan used the word of God in such a way as to tempt Jesus. So so Jesus said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. In other words, Satan wanted him to throw himself off of the temple and that the angels would bear him up. You remember that, right? Do you know what the devil, how he wars against us? He wants us to live in a reckless way and then expect God to bail us out. Or even 1 John 2, 1. My little children. What does it say? My little children. These things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. The right. You know why that's two in the Bible, I believe? Because when you read verse 9, it says if we confess our sins. And you, re- you realize how we're saved. We're saved by what? Grace through faith. And Paul had to argue against this, that just because we're saved by grace and faith, and just because when we sin, we can just go to God and confess our sins, that doesn't give us a license to sin. And that's what First John 2 is there also for. My little children, I write these things unto you, not so that you think you could just get, go and sin and get away with it and live recklessly and tempt God and just say, say, say to yourself, this is what the devil will say. Go ahead and get drunk tonight. Go ahead, cheat on your wife. Go ahead, go go to that rock concert and all that blasphemy and mockery of God. And then afterwards, just confess it to God, and then it'll be okay. That, you see, that's the devil. No, he's writing these things so it's not so that we play, play with light with sin. It's so that we don't sin. <laughs> the devil throws missiles. He's a flamethrower. When... The devil had ended all his temptation against Jesus. This is what it said. What did he do? He departed from him for a season. Isn't that interesting? So you can get victory over a sin today when the devil tempts you. And we could say, well, I stood up against the devil. I quoted the scripture and got the victory. I didn't fall into sin. Be careful. Let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall because besetting sins the devil will just come back he knows our weakness he knows your particular weakness and he even knows your father's weakness and your grandfather's weaknesses and he can keep coming after us and coming after us and i i believe those besetting sins in a sense where he, he might depart for a season but then he'll come back with guns blazing and missiles firing at us we've got to be strong Because we are in a continuous battle against an enemy that has comprehensive influence 
in our world. The third thing is the generational warfare, which this passage brings out. And I've already made mention of it. So if you just follow this, and I'm going to just read through the notes a little bit, and as well on the screen, for those of you on the screen, the generational warfare of Satan's kingdom. So if you follow, uh, kind of understand a little of what's going on here, that these demonic angels are now, you know, they're fighting to spread Satan's lies year after year from one generation to the next in Persia and in Greece and in the United States, you know, and as I thought about the implications of this, if there was one angel assigned to Persia, perhaps there is an angel assigned to you. And that angel before you had been assigned to your grandfather or your father or something like that. And that he's just going to come after us and come after us. We're in a generational struggle. So this prophecy took place in about 536. The angel said he had to go return against the fallen angel and fight throughout the remaining time of the Persian kingdom, another 200 years. And, and I have the dates there in your notes, just so you could see the specifics. But that's about 200 more years. And then he said, you know, I'm going to go after that. I'll fight with the prince of the, the fallen angel that's assigned to Greece. And that's going to be another 185 years. Do You think that's the end of the battle? <laughs> go to Revelation, please, chapter 12 and I want to just read verses 7 through 9, because this passage now shoots us into the future. Revelation chapter 12 puts us into the tribulation time that hasn't even happened yet, where Satan is going to be persecuting the Jewish people during the tribulation. And in the middle of the tribulation, there's a great battle that takes place. And guess who's fighting the battle still? Who's still Israel's prince? Michael. He's the archangel assigned to Israel. And in the middle of the tribulation, in verse 7, Revelation 12, it says, There was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. Now, wait, isn't that interesting? It doesn't just say Michael fought against the dragon. It said Michael fought with his angels. Again, so we see an organized warfare of hierarchy and and, and battle on both sides. Michael and his angels against the dragon who was Satan and his angels. And the devil prevailed not. Neither was there found place anymore in the heavens. Now it's in the heavens that he has authority to go. Remember when Satan came before God and God gave him permission to go attack Job. That was in the heavenly realm where Satan, it's in this heavenly region that Satan levels his accusations against God's people to get, to get authority to attack us. Okay, But at this point, in the middle of the tribulation, Satan is going to be cast out of that heavenly region. He won't have authority anymore as the prince of the power of the air. He's going to lose his authority over the air, and he's just going to be cast to the earth in the middle of the tribulation. That means it's going to get really bad on the earth. But anyway, so it says, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. All that to say is there's a great generational battle. It was back 500 B.C., and it's in the future. So guess what? You, you don't think it's going on right now? Wake up! Get in realville! 
we're in a great battle. The warfare continues from one generation to the next. It is going on right now. So how does this all relate to our personal and family lives? I don't want to be speculative, but we see that the devil and his fallen angels do have particular assignments and do uh, do do their spiritual warfare in one place over hundreds of years time. That's what I'm saying. You see that? They do it in the national geopolitical realm, but I believe they do it in our personal lives as well. Just as that maniac of Gadara that we looked at last week was assigned to that maniac who was basically a homeless and humanly forgotten man, but yet there were enough demons for him to have a whole legion of demons in him. Not, that's incredible to think about. So there is some kind of a general warfare going on. And what we often see just with our own eyes throughout our city, and you've seen it as well. We see that parents that do drugs and get drunk and play ungodly music and curse around their children often have children that do drugs, listen to ungodly music, and curse around their children. Parents that abuse their children, often those children grow up and are abusive. Parents that live in ungodly kinds of ways, often those children adopt those same ungodly patterns. How many of you have seen it? We've seen it. We see it in our city. And we wonder, how can we break those cycles, this generational pattern of sin. And it's by the power of the gospel. Now, go to Genesis, please. I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 5. And we're actually warned about this very thing in the Bible, that the sins of the parents will be visited to the children and down to the third and fourth generation of them that hate God. It says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. Exodus chapter 20, verse 5 says, I am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Now we might say, well, why third or fourth generation? Because that's really the level of practical influence that generations could have on you. In other words, you obviously know your mother and your father and most of us remember our grandparents well. Some of us can remember our great-great-great-great-grandparents. Not many of us, but maybe we were told about them by our grandfathers or even our parents. So that's the level of influence. And so there's tremendous influence that the fathers and the forefathers have on their children. Now, somebody might say, but that's not fair. What I say isn't fair is for a parent to sin and get drunk around their children or get drunk. What's not fair is for a parent to abuse their child. That's what's not fair. What's not fair is for parents to be cursing at their children when they misbehave. That's not fair to that child. That child needs love and nurture and affection and godly correction, instruction in righteousness. God has warned us here. But then you might say, well, what if I had parents that were abusive? 
What if I did have parents that are drunk or who were immoral? What if I had parents that committed abortions or, or went off and did uh, fornication, adultery, or homosexuality, or other, other types of sins? What, how, can I, how can I break that? Well, look at the next verse. God shows mercy to thousands that love him. It says he just does that to them that hate him. Don't hate God. <laughs> love God. Surrender to God. Submit to God. Come to Christ. Be born again. Turn from your sins and turn to Jesus. Believe he died on the cross for your sin and rose again from the dead. Now, I want us to go to this verse in Leviticus, please, chapter 26. And it really does answer this question as well. For a daughter whose mother committed particular sins and she feels temptations to commit those same sins. Now, if your mother committed particular kinds of sins, you can expect to be tempted in those same areas because the same devil who tempted your mother know, knows the weakness that is in your ancestry here. And so this is a spiritual battle. So I'm talking to sons who are weary of committing the sins of their fathers. Look what it says in Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 40. It says, if they shall confess their iniquity. So that's the first thing. We confess our sins, whatever sins those be. And then it says, and the iniquity of their fathers. Isn't that something? Because those sins are often our sins. He says, confess our sins and the iniquity of our fathers and their trespasses, which they trespass against me. And that also they have walked contrary unto me. And that I also have walked contrary unto them. And have brought them into the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised hearts be humble. And they then accept of the punishment of their iniquity. Then will I remember my covenant with Jacob. And also my covenant with Isaac. And also my covenant with Jake, uh, Abraham will I remember. And I will remember the land. In other words, confess your sins with the humble. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just. So some people, you know, somebody even asked me after the first service, what about generational curse, which I really haven't used that term. I think it's somewhat semantic because, you know, if you sin, you're under the curse of sin, the curse of sin and death. But Jesus Christ bore our sins. And if you want to use that curse, you could say biblically, Jesus Christ became a curse for us when he died upon the cross. And so we come to Jesus and we say, Lord, I have sinned against you, but I thank you. You took all my sins in your body on the cross and you bore the curse of sin. And so wipe it all away. You know, there's some sins that could be very deep in a family. I know some from talking to some people like Santeria. If there's Santeria practice, which is a form of witchcraft and your parents did that, it could be it could be very devious and dark and frightening or it could be if your parents were in the it took a masonic oath and the masons is also very deep and dark and very frightening and very demonic get out of that if you're in it and if your parents made oaths in santeria or they were involved in witchcraft or astrology or the occult in any kind of way and you feel a temptation to go into that Confess it to God. You don't need that. You don't need to go into those areas. Jesus Christ sets us free. 
Okay, quickly, the last point. <laughs> I say quickly. There's really something so beautiful and deep here. So go to this last thing. Go to Daniel chapter 11. I want to hit this last verse, or actually the first verse of Daniel chapter 11, which really goes with the rest of this passage. Now remember, if you go back to Daniel and chapter number 10, and look at verse 1, and this is where it's a little confusing, but Daniel 11.1 goes with this whole vision he's having with this angel that was released after his 21-day prayer fast. This whole vision occurs when in Daniel chapter 10, verse 1? When does it occur? In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. So that's when it happened. So by the third year, Israel had been released out of captivity and had gone back into Israel and were rebuilding the temple by this point. But now look what he says in Daniel chapter 11, verse 1. And he uses a different king, but Darius was really a, an under king of Cyrus. Cyrus was over the whole empire, Medo-Persian empire. Darius was a king of the Babylonian part of that empire. So look what he says in Daniel 11.1. 1. And the angel who's speaking to Daniel is saying this verse. He says, also I, in the first year of Darius, even I stood to confirm and to strengthen him. And he's, the him there is Michael. He refers to him at the end of chapter, of chapter 10. So this angel talking to Daniel said, in the first year of Darius, which was two years before Daniel's having this experience. Are you, are you with me? So two years before he had this vision, this angel who's talking to Daniel said, I went and helped Michael. Now, wait a minute. Who helped this angel in chapter 10, verse 13? Michael. But in chapter 11, verse 1, who helped Michael? This angel. So sometimes this angel got into a fix and he needed Michael's help. Sometimes Michael got into a fix and he needed this angel's help. Isn't that something? You know, sometimes you get in a fix and you need somebody to help you. That's why you can't isolate yourself in this life. Not even the angels do. So thank God, that's why we have a church. And, you know, this whole idea of isolation is very unhealthy spiritually and emotionally in every which way. But anyway, the angels help one another. Thank God for that. And it goes to show you that we need help. But then the thing is this. So he says in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood to confirm him. So what was going on in the first year of Darius the Mede? In the first year of Darius the Mede, which was also the first year of King Cyrus, basically the Medo-Persian Empire was framing their policies they were going to have toward Israel. Now, God had said exactly what was going to happen at this point. And so the devil sends his angels to influence Cyrus to go against what God had said. Now, what had God said? Because the good angel influenced Cyrus to put in writing that Israel would return to the land. Why was that important? Well, what does it say in Ezra chapter 1? If you could just follow along, I hope, you're, I hope you could still, you, you, your brain's in here? You, you're with me still? Okay. Now in Ezra chapter 1, look what he says. Now in the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the word of the Lord 
by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. That the word of God by Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom. And he put it in writing saying, thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He's charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Now Cyrus said that behind, the, behind Cyrus was who? The fallen angel, the prince of Persia. And the holy angels, Michael and the other angel, trying to influence Cyrus to let Israel go back to their land. Why was that so important? God had said it would happen through the prophet, who? Jeremiah. So what's Satan trying to do? He's trying to keep God's word from being fulfilled. And not only had Jeremiah predicted it, but Isaiah had predicted this very king named Cyrus. 170 years before Cyrus was even alive, Isaiah gave us his name in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28, when we say, thus saith of Cyrus, Cyrus wasn't even born yet. God is predicting there would be this King Cyrus. And he says, God says of this king, he's my shepherd. He shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built. And to the temple, thy foundation shall be laid. So in the first year of Darius, all this is going on. The first year of Cyrus is the first year of Darius. And God had said there would be a king named Darius, a Cyrus, who would allow the Jews to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple and lay the foundation of it. You see, the point is this. You know what Satan hates? The Bible. What God has said is going to come to pass, but Satan's going to fight with all his might to keep the word of God. From being fulfilled. But our victory is by obedience to the word of God. Following Jesus. Hiding his word in our heart. This is our victory. This is our shield. This is our sword to use in the battle. So Satan hates the word of God. He's always seeking to thwart the word of God. As he sought to thwart the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah from being fulfilled. And so the angels of God were working and influencing. Isn't that, isn't that cool? Isn't that, that's kind of I mean, come on. The angels in the invisible realm are influencing the physical world of geopolitical international affairs. I mean, it's pretty cool. But not only that, at this very same time, the first year of Darius, I'm in chapter 11, verse 1. Also, I in the first year of Darius, the angel saying, even I stood to confirm and to strengthen him, to strengthen Michael. So the angels were strengthening each other to influence the affairs of the empire. Because at that time, there was a man praying, and he was a man of authority. <coughs> Excuse me. And he was praying how much? How often did he pray? Three times a day. Why was he praying? For his nation, that they would go back. And according to the prophet Jeremiah and Isaiah, so he's praying, praying, praying. And, and the devil put in the heart of these other kings or under Darius of Persia, the devil attacked them and cast darts into the hearts of those kings. we got to do something with Daniel. Let's have him thrown into the den of lions. So isn't that something? Two things we see vital in our spiritual victory that the devil hates and he wants to stop. The word of God. And what? Prayer. Prayer. Because he threw Dan they threw Daniel, you know the story then, 
And what happened when they threw Daniel into the den of lions? What did he say? He said, my God has sent who? His angel. There's that angel. This has to be one of these angels. I believe in chapter 10 and 11. And he has shut the lion's mouths and they have not hurt me. And so, beloved, that's the victory. The victory is the word of God. The victory is in prayer because the devil's going to cast his darts into your heart as well. And we're going to stand as we stand in the word of God, as we stand continuing to pray. And as we close today, go please to Revelation and we'll finish up here and then close in prayer. And I have a prayer I would like for us to pray together. In Revelation chapter 12, in this future time of great spiritual warfare we're taught how to stand Daniel chapter 12 verse 10 he says and i heard a loud voice saying in heaven now has come salvation and strength the kingdom of our god the power of his christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our god day and night and by the way that's what satan is he's a wicked accuser he accuses husband to wife and wife to husband he accuses church member to pastor and he believe me he accuses uh, he, he accuses the church members to the pastor, but then he also accuses the pastor to the church member. Oh, that pastor, you know, or the pastor's wife, or he accuses one each other. He, he wants us all defeated, divided, hating one another, bitter at each other, well, uh, uh, mother to daughter, father to son, coworker to, to boss. I mean, the devil is an accuser. Know when he's attacking you and his accusations. And then just reject those accusations. But it says, and this is how, when those accusations come, deceptions, they overcame him by the what? Blood of the lamb, by the shed blood. And it says, and by the word of their testimony, the sure word of God. And they love not their lives unto the death. That is our surrendered life. So we have the word of God and we have prayer and we have the blood of Jesus Christ but you have to surrender your heart to Jesus for the victory. Let's stand together as we pray. Thank God for his victory. Amen. Now I'm going to offer a prayer. And Eunice, if you could play on the piano as I offer this prayer. And as I pray this prayer today, I'm going to ask that you enter into the prayer with me. It's a spiritual warfare prayer. I have a copy on the back table if you'd like. And I, as I said last week, Write your own spiritual warfare prayer according to the own, your own particular battle. But let's pray together. O oh, great God of highest heaven, occupy the throne of our lowly hearts today. Take full possession of our earthly members and reign supreme that our members will be as holy instruments for your righteousness. And all God's people could say, amen. Yes, Lord. So say amen when I ask for that response, that I know you're praying with me. We declare, Lord, that you are the sovereign ruler over all the affairs of men. We submit ourselves to you, and we rejoice as your people that our names are written in heaven. And all God's people said, yes, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We recognize, however, that Satan is a devious and dangerous enemy. He continually walks about to lie and murder and destroy. So we ask you now, Lord, to bind a strong man from any influence over our lives, our family, our children, my home, 
in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Yes, Lord, bind that wicked one. He's the strong man, Lord, but you're the stronger one. We confess our iniquity, O God. Confess your sins. We confess the iniquity of our fathers. We ask you to break the strongholds of sin that exist in my family. Bind and break the lust of the eyes. Yes, pray it in your heart. Bind and break the lust of the flesh. Bind and break the pride of life. All our sins are going to fall into one of those categories or a mixture of all of them. And we claim that when the enemy shall come in like a flood to harm us, we call on the power of the Spirit of the Lord who will lift up His name as the name of Jesus as a standard against the enemy. And all God's people said, yes, we lift up the name of Jesus as our banner of victory. Hallelujah. We cast down, we reject every lie that Satan hurls at us. What lies is Satan casting at you? Fiery darts of the devil. Put up the shield of faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Help us, Lord. So in Jesus' name, we ask you to rebuke and bind witchcraft of any form. The occult. Masonic oaths. Santeria. Astrology. We cancel any former vow or oath either we or our ancestors have taken in rebellion against you, O great God of highest heaven. Someone came up to me after the first service and said that his ancestors were involved in animal sacrifices of the Hindu religion. And yes, even those things need to be bound and broken and canceled so that they don't touch our lives. And we know Jesus sets us free. His blood forgives us from all sins. So, Lord God, when Satan rises up to speak his lies of temptation, accusation, and deception, we resist him, and we boldly cast down and reject every deceitful word he hurls at us. And we claim the blood of Jesus. We claim that no weapon formed against us will prosper. And every tongue that rises up against us, you shall condemn. And all God's people said, Amen. And yes, whereas your name is is victory, a high tower, to which we run and find safety. Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Sid Canoe, our Jehovah who provides the Lamb. But Lord, we stand and claim your word, which we which you have even magnified above your name. We claim the word, we claim the word, we stand on the word, and all God's people said, Amen. And we claim your salvation and victory now, Lord. We rejoice that our forgiveness. And our deliverance and the power and the authority we have through the name of Jesus Christ is based on your show word, the power of your shed blood. And that through Jesus Christ, we can do all things, even treading on all the powers of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt us. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray God continue to work now. Send us forth with blessing. Send us forth with peace. Send us forth in the power of your spirit. And if there's anyone under the sound of my voice not saved, call on the name of Jesus today and say, Oh, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. I am a wicked sinner, and I know I deserve nothing but hell without you. But, Lord, I ask you to save me because I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Jesus rose again. 
And you know what the Bible says? If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Make sure you have that salvation if you're not saved and live in that victory. Hallelujah. What a Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.